0: God, walk with us into the unknown, that we may emerge a new people. Amen. Well, it's day four or five of social distancing, depending on when you started counting. Early on yet, in many ways, and yet the longest days of our lives for some of us. I have seen posts on social media with warnings. No, not really about the increasing spread of the virus, but about the dwindling mental state of your extroverted friends. They can't get out and socialize. They're desperate. Other posts I have seen from young parents who suddenly have their kids at home 24-7 with no places to take them for entertainment like Sky Zone because it's closed along with everything else. They are saying things like, pep talks for each other is how we got through today. And I have homeschooled for three days, and I'm here to tell you teachers need a billion dollars more a year than they currently get paid. In our congregation, we are especially concerned for our seniors, for those in the at-risk category with this virus, for complications, which is anyone with a pre-existing condition, anyone over 65 or 70. Our council took a list of members who are 70-plus and divided it up and are calling each and every one of them just to make sure they're okay. Another member emailed me and confessed I cannot imagine being at home alone with no visitors in the near future. What can we do for these folks? Which birthed an idea having young kids make cards and drawings for them and older kids engage in a pen pal type arrangement and send it all through the mail. We are all trying to navigate unknown territory in this time and place. Even the preachers had to change their sermons mid-paragraph last weekend and shift the focus from the woman at the well to the coronavirus. God bless us all. We are trying our best. At our house, we have been trying to keep a normal school schedule on some level, but we are admittedly also catching up on family-friendly films in the evenings. Mrs. Doubtfire was a big hit last night. The night before, we rewatched the latest Frozen movie, which had the unintended consequence, as all Frozen movies do, of songs from the film getting stuck in our heads. We walked around all day singing Into the Unknown, literally, just those words, because who the heck remembers the verses? Into the Unknown is repeated over and over. Verses aside, that chorus in the song is the best music for our time, I think. Every day here as we social distance, as we make decisions about what to close and what to leave open, whether or not it's worth it to go out to the grocery store, and when and if Easter will happen, as it has in the past, every day is a journey into the unknown right there with Elsa and Anna and Olaf and Sven. When you break down the film's plot line, Elsa goes into the unknown, and what she discovers is a familial connection that she and Anna's mother is from the North Aldra tribe, not just Arendelle, as they thought, and that they, as descendants of their mother, are descendants of an ancient people who respect the earth and its magic. This journey into the unknown leads them to discover the truth about their ancestors' greed and mistrust of others, how their grandfather built the dam to keep the North Aldra people contained, and then he killed their leader by stabbing him in the back. Going into the unknown, the daughters find they can't undo the past but they can pave the way for a new future, a different and more just future, starting with destroying the dam and telling the truth about the past. Before a worldwide pandemic happened, our church had taken up a theme for Lent and these midweek services called Relent, which was spiritual and practical ways to renew our calling to care for creation. Our appointed scripture for today was Leviticus 25, What we call, in short, the Sabbath of the land. I was going to talk about soil and how it has the power to hold carbon and agricultural practices, and I was going to consult my soil scientist cousin, and it was going to be an amazing ode to the power of dirt. But that was three weeks ago when I picked it. Yesterday, I was going to scrap it all together in favor of something more virus-relevant. But then I realized nothing could be more relevant this section of Leviticus is part of a long speech, the giving of the law at Sinai to the people, a people who had just left everything they knew back in Egypt and had crossed the sea into the unknown. When you think about it that way, in our own unknown state of things, you can begin to see how the people viewed this law as a gift, not a punishment. It's like, here's a way to live now. Here are some practices to keep and some guidelines as you navigate the unknown. I could use some of those right about now. How about you? Every section in the speech begins, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people and say to them. Our chapter starts like this. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. 6 years you shall sow your field, and 6 years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But on the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth or harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath. You, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you for your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. Listen again to just verse 4. In the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. Complete rest. That means the Sabbath would be observed by all simultaneously. The land is on Sabbath, which, hey, makes sense, given our knowledge of crop rotation, not that we follow it. But if the land is on Sabbath, the planters and harvesters are on Sabbath. Those who sell the produce at the market are on Sabbath. Those who go out shopping for it are on Sabbath and so on. The Sabbath for the land affects everyone because in this piece of wisdom to navigate the unknown, God has said, you are connected to the land to the ground, to the dirt you walk upon, and through that land, you are connected to each other. We are so connected to each other. We can see that now in light of the pandemic. One poem shared on Facebook puts it this way. I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull their legs to let you by, or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes a leftover from the bubonic plague don't die we are saying and sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag someone else will help you pick them up mostly we don't want to harm each other we want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it to smile at them and for them to smile back for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder and for the driver of the red pickup to let us pass. We have so little of each other now, so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together, when we say, here, have my seat? Go ahead, you first. I like your hat. We are so connected, friends. I love the sentiment going around social media and the news interviews that what we're doing here, refraining from interacting with each other, is really an amazing act of solidarity. We are confessing by staying home, by self-discipline, that we are deeply connected to each other. We are giving the medical staff we are connected to a fighting chance. We are giving the elderly and vulnerable we are connected to the gift of health. Could this time of social distancing then be a Sabbath for us? Could you call it that? Could it be a sacred time? I ask this because this section of Leviticus, all of chapters 17 to 26, is part of the holiness code. It is especially concerned with how the people are holy because the Lord your God is holy. How the priests and those in the temple keep religious practices, establish institutions such as high holy days, such as the Sabbath. Did you know the guidance in the scriptures about the land having a Sabbath was in the priestly instructions that this was a social but also a religious directive? Does that change the way you think about the dirt you walk upon and how connected you are to it? Especially now, especially when your backyard is probably one of the few places you can go safely. I was reading a post from a friend of a friend in Wuhan, China. She writes about day 48 of quarantine, what they do during the day, how they find food. I was struck by this one paragraph because it's so similar to my own experience now that everything has slowed down. Right now, I hear the birds outside my window on the 25th floor. I used to think there weren't really birds in Wuhan because you rarely saw them and never heard them. I know now. They were just muted and crowded out by the traffic and people. All day long now I hear birds singing. It stops me in my tracks to hear the sound of their wings. I was thinking about our seniors yesterday, as our family of four, already tired of each other at some moments, gathered around our plants from the Lent event and read that devotional. I told us to talk to our plant, which at this point we have named Sprouty and given a gender, because you only call something a thing to keep it at a distance, as the devotional reminds us. Sprouty, or whomever he or she is in the home of our elderly members, might be their only companion in these times, in a physical sense. Plants or animals, beloved pets we can hold on to, we can talk with, we can sing to, such as the birds who sing back to us. All part of our family now, as we venture more and more days into the unknown, we are invited to rediscover or perhaps discover for the first time. A familial connection in the unknown, right there with Elsa and Anna from Frozen, a connection to our ancestral past, to our dirt kin, to the ground from whence we came, to the birds of the air and the plants of the field that God gave to us and us to them as companions in our pilgrimage on earth. There is something holy about that connection, as Leviticus reminds us, something sacred and incarnate, which, as God's holiness under the cross tends to do, may just break open what we thought we knew to be true about ourselves and about each other. It may both alarm us and encourage us simultaneously to go deeper into the unknown because it will break open and bring to light the way we have lived and moved in the world until now and the choices we have made as a people concerning the earth, concerning the vulnerable, concerning those we thought were too far away to matter to us. And yet, if we dare to go... Holding on to all the holy we can find around us, there is the possibility we may emerge with a new understanding about who we are, deeply connected to the earth and each other, and the truth about our past, which we can't undo, where we have failed those parts of us and where we have failed our very selves. But there is the possibility, then, that we will discover a pathway to a new, different, and more just future. This is holy work, my friends. It is Sabbath work. And most importantly, it is God's work. May we head into the unknown with that truth in our hearts, like a song of hope that is forever playing in our heads. Amen.